Welcome to the Growth Circle Podcast. Discussing topics of personal growth, gathering stories of individuals embarked on the path to success, and most importantly, providing a platform for individuals that want to learn and grow. And now, here are your hosts, Jake Ingledew and John Mitchell. Do you have a property that is in rough condition, has tenant issues, or a project that never got finished? Then you need to contact Homelink Properties. This Springfield, Missouri-based company will give you a fair cash offer on your property, completely as is, the same day you reach out. If you're an investor, Homelink Properties can also put your house in front of hundreds of cash buyers so that you too can quickly sell your property. Give them a call today, 417 217- Two nine five zero seven two three. Titan Title and Closing of Missouri is ranked as Missouri's top title company for real estate investor transactions. Titan is your local title and investor friendly experts. Whether you're seeking wholesale or assignments, subject tos, Titan can help you with your transactions. Sam and her team have made it their passion and drive to give investors a learning opportunity to expand their knowledge in order to grow and succeed in their ventures. I personally use them, they're fantastic. Give the experts a call today, 417-882-2100. Welcome to another episode of the Growth Circle Podcast. Super excited about today's guest. Um, Had the privilege of getting to meet her for lunch and learned a lot about her and her story. Um, So we're gonna dive right into it. So welcome, Tatiana. Oseni. Oseni. I knew I was going to butcher it. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited. Well, we're glad to have you on. And I really want to dive first right away, right into your story, um, because I know you went through the 08, 09 stuff and, you know, lost a lot of stuff and kind of went back, went to nothing essentially and have built a fantastic business and got a lot going on right now. My hashtag is in 2008, been there, done that, lost the t-shirt. That's, <laughs> that's kind of, um, yeah, 08 wiped us out. We wow. were um, young family just starting out, relocated. And I think we had this mindset that, you know, the economy's booming, nothing, you know, everything's going to be exactly like it's going, but. Sounds l- very familiar right now. I mean, it? right. Um, but one of the pearls of wisdom that we took away from that season is this too shall pass. The good seasons, this too shall pass. The bad seasons, this too shall pass. And so to be on the other side of it, it's, it's a huge accomplishment and honestly a, a privilege. Um, I'm very humbled by it. Um, I think when you fail, sometimes failure is that loud voice. That, mm-hmm. Oh, you're not meant for those levels of success. You, you're meant to be here. But you know deep down inside you're meant to be here. And uh-huh. overcoming that mental battle, oh, that was the hardest. What do you feel like has helped you to overcome that mental battle and to get where you're at today? Um, and how did you find the courage? Because we can probably dive yeah. into your story a little bit more to overcome like, hey, we lost it all. Real estate's a bad deal because you're back in real estate again. Yeah. Um, how were you able to overcome that and get to where you're at today? Um, I think personal development would be number one. Um, Because when you're broken and broke and broken and broke, you have no confidence and you have no faith in yourself um, because you bet on yourself and you lost hard. Um, So personal development really was that key to success for me. It helped me start looking through different lenses of situations instead of 
reacting to them. I think up to that point, we were just reactive to life. You know, you go to work, you make the money, you pay the bills, you raise the kids, you go out with your friends. There wasn't this kind of master plan behind it all. Mm -hmm. And then when it all crumbled and, and you're sitting there, you know, with all the broken pieces. And when I say like we failed, we failed hard. Like I was pregnant and with second child, we would come home, electricity's off. Like oh, wow. hard. It was not a fun season. And that that moment you choose to start to invest in yourself, whether that's coaching, whether that's reading, whether that's podcasts, whatever it is that speaks to you. Mm -hmm. For me, that was also um, spirituality with my church and kind of diving deep into that and, and growing that a little bit. Cause man, you get mad at God when things don't work out. Right. Um, and that was a whole healing season for me to, to rectify that relationship. Um, and slowly you kind of thaw out from that stress of failure and you start to look around and you know it's not that bad we have a place to live my kids are healthy my husband's healthy and you start to be grateful for all those little things instead of resentful for all the things mm -hmm. that you've lost um, and then really just slowly putting yourself in those opportunities that are scary but you know that's where you want to go and so with with the experience of failure that is courage taking those steps that you, you towards the goals you want to achieve but man, you you have to have that courage to know that you can make it. Yeah. John and I actually talk about that a lot, about being comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. Because you're not going to learn and grow unless you get outside that comfort zone. Yep. Which essentially is a you know, that oh. leap of faith that you're talking about. Take, stepping out in the dark because you have to do that. It yep. takes action to do that. I'm curious because one thing that I, when I first met you that I just loved about you is that you're really into self-improvement. Where did that come from? How did you get started into that? Um, cause I mean, shoot, you were, you were at a conference, I think when we first started connecting yeah. and you said, Oh, I'll be back from this Gary V con uh, yeah. conference. So, um, for me, it was little steps. Like at first, uh, you know, the, the principles of doing all the right things have been there for the ages and it just seems so simple. Like read the book yeah. and then the book sits there on your nightstand for three right. months, yeah. read the freaking book. Like pick it up take the time um and it, it was the the little things reading and journaling reading and journaling and then whether that's the bible whether that's self-improvement whether that's self-help whatever that is that you need at the moment mm -hmm. read the book yeah write the journal um and slowly i started doing that and it kind of it helped improve things all of a sudden and it's not an instant connection it's all unconnected but all of a sudden things are just kind of moving yeah. in the right direction you're like huh I wonder if I do more of this, will we'll, we'll continue kind of to happen. Um, and, and it kind of did. So my first first thing that I did in self-improvement, I went to a mastermind in St. Louis. Free event held every month in St. Louis. Not my market, not my people, not my referral source. But I was like, you know, the guy who puts it on is a mortgage loan officer, Brian McRae. He still does it in St. Louis, phenomenal individual. Um, we worked for the same bank at the time, but different uh, chapters. And so I gave that a go and I was like, this is amazing. Like. You have a room full of individuals who are just hungry to grow and succeed. Yeah. And you feel that energy. And then you get to hear the stories of people who've been doing this longer than, you know, the one one time event and what they've achieved. And I was hooked. And so I started attending those um, on a more regular basis, got connected to the person who put that event on. Um, they offered coaching options. So I signed up for like yeah. paid coaching. You, you were all in. You drank the Kool-Aid. Oh, well, <laughs> it was it was about a year and a half process for me uh -huh. to get to that point. And but yeah, I've never paid for coaching ever. And I always thought like, that's, you know, why? Yeah. But it put you in that bubble of accountability and you can't get away from it. And um, that kind of catapulted me to that next level. Once I got, I, I had a six month commitment. And once that six month commitment ended, 
I had so much growth in that season and confidence within myself that yeah. if I put something to my mind and I surround myself, and this is the key, surround myself with the right people, you can actually catapult your results. We We're, talk about that all the stinking time. It's like people don't realize is like if you are around people that are hungry, wanting to learn, trying to improve their situation, it elevates you to a higher ground. Uh, yep. There's like the, I think what's the the old adage or whatever is like look at the five people you surround yourself yep. by. That's gonna you're gonna be the average of those five people. Yep. So if you're gonna continue to be around people that you know aren't gonna elevate you to a certain level, you're gonna you're gonna be stuck there too. Well, the just to piggyback on that, it, it's amazing when you are intentional about it. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people um, going back to what you mentioned earlier are comfortable. And they want to surround themselves with people that are comfortable. Sure. And people that are comfortable are people like yourself. So you find the same type of people. Yep. And if you're a negative person, you're going to surround yourself with negative mm -hmm. people. If you, you know, um, and then it's going to magnify itself. And it's going to magnify itself. <laughs> um, and I know people will do like a friends purge on Facebook, and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm clearing out my Facebook friends. People need to do that in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> if there are people in your life that take, 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 take and are negative, 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 and you leave away that interaction, always feeling just empty and just mm -hmm. like a wet noodle, why are they in your life? Yeah, I agree. And that's an intentional action you have to like commit to yourself. Like I will protect my time and I will protect my success by surrounding myself with the people who value me, who I value, who I can help and who can help me. Yeah. It seems like that's such a tough transition for people to like move into that mindset. And I was gonna ask you, when you started like investing in yourself, had you already been investing in like real estate before that? Or? Oh gosh, no. Um, as a matter of fact, when we lost everything in, in the market crash, I told my husband, we will never, ever, 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 I think there was like a couple more evers in there, be self-employed again. Like, really? We will have steady jobs and we will have wow. just the nine to five, we will have the, the paycheck and we will have the health insurance. That is all that I wanted because I was so broken. I just needed that safety net. How long had you been in, in the business before it crashed? Like how much experience had you already had? So I didn't really have much. It, my husband was a, um, a builder in the Pacific Northwest area for about 10 years, maybe more. But really, he's been in construction and the real estate business for, gosh, like multiple decades wow. <laughs> and so he's he saw everything grow from from zero to to the height of you know oh seven oh eight um, and all of his experience was in, in the construction field um, marrying into that i didn't really know the business i didn't know real estate i was fairly young when we got married um, so i really wasn't involved like my husband had to teach me how to write checks <laughs> <laughs> that's how it started um and when we moved uh states i really wasn't into mortgage didn't really understand the paperwork we were signing um, it was not a good deal uh, wow. and there's some red flags that we should have like we should have like stopped and like oh that's the fraud file maybe we shouldn't like that's that's not right um like it was bad wow. the whole situation was bad but we're like oh it's fine you know i'll i got my real estate license and he was in construction everything was going to be great and it wasn't so really for me real estate was a new thing once we moved to missouri and moving here about 14 years ago, there wasn't a lot of growth here. So there wasn't a lot of this great opportunity and potential. Um, and 
again, I stood my stance. I was like, we will never be self-employed. I just want safety and nothing more. Um, and so my husband dropped his dream job of being a builder and went and, and did other work for eight years, which required him to travel. And he hated every wow. minute of it. He hated every minute of it. Uh-huh. But he did it because he knew that I just needed that steady paycheck and that I wanted the health insurance and I wanted the nine to five. And he sacrificed. He sacrificed for eight years to, to provide a, until I matured and grew in my understanding of real estate. And then slowly mm-hmm. I was like, maybe we should buy a lot. Maybe we should build a spec. And he's like, what? Okay, let's do this. And so it, the, the funny thing is, like we talk about this often, for me, I, I was so against it. And I was like, okay, well, we'll start slow. And then I was like, okay, in five years, we're gonna be developers. And he's like, are you crazy? Like, what are you talking about? Let's just build a couple houses a year. That's all I wanna do. I'm like, no, here's the game plan. Here's the, the like, <laughs> it was, yeah. Board. You were like, oh, let's go. let's go. And now I'm the one, I'm like, let's do this, let's do this. And he's like, yeah. slow down, slow down. Yeah. So it, it's been it's been a fun Let's journey. Let's tell our listeners a little bit about what you've got going on currently right now, what you do, yep. um, and kind of what your specialty is. Uh, to kind of give us a little more background too, because you went from again, you know, the crash in yep. 07, 08, 09, Everybody says different dates, but yeah. in that in time, there in there <laughs> depends when you lost everything. <laughs> and, then, and have built a successful business, and uh, you guys, are, I would say, are you know thriving now. Yeah. Um, just tell the listeners a little sure. bit about what you got going on. So I'm a mortgage loan officer. That's what I do. Um, and I'm very passionate about helping people understand the process. Because going back to me getting a mortgage, being young, not understanding like anything I'm signing, what it means, how it works, how like the how an arm payment works. Good stuff to know when you're getting a mortgage. Right. And um, helping educate my clients as they transition uh, or uh, whether that's you know buying and selling, first-time home, downsizing, building out their investment portfolio. Um, so that's what I do uh, Monday through Friday, or you know eight days a week, as I like to say. Um, but we also <laughs> have we also have a residential construction company. Uh, my husband and I we build new construction, spec, custom, semi-custom, um, and land development. So we've been doing that for about five years now, awesome. um, and it's been really cool to to kind of have your thumb on every aspect of the real estate market. Uh, right now we've got a couple houses on the market, uh, some under contract, some that we're keeping to rent, some that we're moving into like every spectrum of real estate i think we've got a little bit of something in our portfolio Uh, but the new thing i mean obviously with the market shift sales have slowed down people are kind of freaking out with the higher interest rates Uh, but the fun thing about it is when you plan ahead and you know like okay if this house doesn't sell what's plan b what's plan c what's plan you know x y and and z Um, if it doesn't sell we'll rent it out if it doesn't rent we'll do this like there's so many options that you can pursue if you understand that you can't bet on the market always doing what you expect it or want it to do. I think probably the most controversial question right now is what's the market going to do? So change. What <laughs> That's are it. you are you expecting? So are you expecting like a decrease in any home prices or just hold steady and just be slower? Or what's your what's your take on it? I, I think the the answer is it will change. Okay. But what I've seen uh, in the last couple of weeks is the market slowed down because people are a little bit afraid of making a commitment to a higher interest rate sure. um, in a volatile market because they have that mindset that this is their that this is going to be like this forever, and while. 
others are actually swooping in and coming in saying, hey, the market slowed down. I can underbid a little bit on this you know, sales price or maybe work some seller concessions. So the people who are not afraid are getting a better deal right now. Right. The people who are afraid and are renting for another year or two, that's fine. If that's what makes them comfortable, it opens up inventory for those that have the equity or you know have put themselves in a position to buy some more real estate and get favorable um, either seller concessions or maybe a lower price. Yeah, to speak on that actually, so we I just recently uh, signed papers on a uh, house that we're gonna Airbnb out and we got the seller to basically owner finance the whole deal. So we're gonna Dang. be able to zero money and it's gonna cash flow well. And I think it's because of exactly what you're talking yeah. about. And that might not have been an option a year and a half ago when he's like, nope, I'm selling this to the high bidder, bye. Like right. it, it, the, the market is always looked at in you know the rear view mirror mm -hmm. but we always want the the windshield answer <laughs> like yep. it's it's going to change it's going to be good it's going to be bad it's going to be fast it's going to be slow prepare yourself for all outcomes yeah. that's it like if you're an investor and you want to build out your portfolio buy properties right if you're looking for a first time home and you, the interest rates are higher and the payment is a little bit higher than what you thought it would be but it's within your debt to income ratios. It's within the you know approved underwriter you know credit risk rating. That's them saying, hey, based on this criteria that we have to work on, you are eligible for this loan. Does that mean you might have to like you know cancel a couple of monthly subscriptions or maybe skip a few coffees to have a house? Yes, <laughs> no, do it. Can't give up the Starbucks, <laughs> man. Not now. Well, the it's <laughs> most people I think look at real estate as this. Um, thing that they achieve and thing that they have to work on and spend money on. And, um, it, it, you know, it, it's, they built this fantasy around home ownership. Like, oh, this is like my home and I, I want it to feel a certain way. I want it to yeah. be in a certain, you know, neighborhood. I want to have certain neighbors. I want to have this, they built up this little fantasy. Been watching of, HGTV oh, gosh. Way <laughs> what it is. True, true. Um, but home ownership is a wealth building tool, mm -hmm. first and foremost. Yes, you can raise your kids there. Yes, you can have the barbecues and the cute patio and the little, you know, gnomes in the front yard or whatever the, you know, whatever the dream is. But look at it as a wealth building tool. And sometimes if the perfect house is not on the market, buy the less perfect house on the market. Mm -hmm. Live in it for a couple of years, build up yeah. your equity, have a higher down payment so that you can make the bid on the higher perfect house next time around. Yeah. Um, I mean, it. real estate is a powerful, powerful tool. The one thing that I think most people... Um, are reluctant to understand it's like a chainsaw mm -hmm. it's a powerful tool but if you don't know how to use it yeah. you can get hurt yeah no I love what you just said because my wife and I we the first property that we bought and we moved into uh, it's now a rental property and it's cash flowing really well and it's doubled in value so I was able to put a line of credit on it so between that and a couple other properties I had I have a huge line of credit yep. that I'm able to go buy more properties and it's like supercharged my wealth so you have an asset that is growing in appreciation yep. that is cash flowing and paying for itself yep. and also allowing you to tap into the equity and make bold business decisions to continue your growth. Exactly. Wow. That yep. sounds like the American dream right there. <laughs> <laughs> right? Let's talk a little bit about mortgages and what we, we should know, whether as investors or, or uh, you know, a typical home buyer or, a, you know, someone that's not investing, but is wanting to build their wealth through single family, buying a, you know, a personal home or whatnot. Talk to us a little bit about mortgages, some things we should be aware of and, and look for. Yep. So traditionally, mortgages uh, and, and kind of the space that I'm in, it's going to be your secondary market, 
30-year fixed. These are like your forever homes, which there's no such thing in my opinion. But um, so the 30-year fixed mortgage, it is very low risk. It is designed uh, to get people into homes and have a consistent, non-fluctuating payment so you know what your monthly expenses are. Given the fact that most people should budget and say, hey, here's my continued monthly expense, so here's what I need to bring in to stay on top of my, my bills and such. Um, we look at debt to income ratios. We look at um, what other liabilities people have. We look at the property itself. Mm -hmm. It is the safest loan. Yeah. And then outside the scope of the safest loan, that's really designed for people buying uh, and holding property, whether that's your primary residence, whether that's an investment, whether that's a fourplex. You can go up to a four unit property on the secondary market. It is designed to be a held property. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, in, in other podcasts, I've heard you guys talk about like real estate, really, for those who buy and hold, they do the best. Yeah. And that's why these programs are out here um, to, to help achieve those goals. But there's also all of these other programs where um, you can do jumbo loan products if you're wanting to buy that, you know, higher end beach house that you're going to, you know, Airbnb or rent out. Um, and there's also products like FHA, USDA, VA, designed for people who might not have had the best credit past or credit rating, but the, you know they've worked hard enough to where they can have they have the stable income, they have what it takes to to get into these houses. And there's programs designed to help achieve that home ownership. But really, what I've learned over the last five years is the whole economy of our country. A lot of it lies on the shoulders of mortgages. Like the first thing I asked my my first um, uh, employer who hired me into into mortgage was like, how do mortgages work? Like, what do you like? How do how it, are you getting this commission based on this loan amount with this interest rate? Like, where does the money come from? Right. Like, how does this work? <laughs> and so this little veil was kind of pulled back for me as he explained that mortgages there's there's so many people like you have appraisers you have realtors you have mortgage loan officers you have home inspectors you have real estate agents all get paid on the transaction i know we we were talking about that the other day how many hands real so estate touches many not even to mention the contractors the rehab people oh gosh uh, the investor like the underwriter it, the processor yeah. the like it's so many hands if you bought it from a seller they maybe mm -hmm. made money and then maybe you wholesaled it to somebody else and so you made money and then that person bought it for investment well wholesale is a whole nother ball game <laughs> but uh, like for me i'm like how do like how do people make money because here's somebody who's buying a hundred and fifty thousand dollar house and they have three percent down like how is everybody else getting paid from right, this transaction right. this doesn't make sense to me yeah and so the the lender originates the loan and they get paid upon origination. Mm -hmm. Then that loan gets sold mm -hmm. to the secondary market, to whatever investors you're working with, and then you get paid for sale of that mm -hmm. loan. Then that loan that gets sold gets packaged with other loan products and gets traded or sold on the stock market as mortgage-backed securities. Mm -hmm. Mortgage-backed securities, they look at if there's 30 loans that are 30-year fixed at all, you know, 5.5%. Well, statistically, those mortgages will be paid, you know, for five to seven years, maybe throwing out the last two years. They sure. Won't um, so how much interest will be collected on 30, 30-year 30 notes at 5.5%? Take all of those payments, and that's where the profit is. So those little tiny incremental interest payments are now larger. Those mm -hmm. actually finance this whole operation like it is amazing how much money flows through the interest payments in the first five years of a loan and it's designed that way where if you look like an amortization schedule uh -huh. 
heavy, heavy interest load on the front, yep. very, very low on the bottom because they know that they need to make their money on the front, the front end, end in a certain uh, amount of time before it gets sold, refinanced. Um, so for me, that was like a huge eye opening, like, whoa, this, this is, this is amazing. But if you take it a little bit further, the Fed sets the Fed fund rate, which is the interest rate they charge the banks to borrow the money to first originate the loans. Uh -huh. Then they also buy mortgage-backed securities. So they're saying, here's the rate we're going to give you so you can make a, you know, whatever, borrow the money to make the loan initially, and then we'll buy the loan back on the back end in mortgage-backed securities. Interesting. So and they're the, making their interest rate twice. Oh, oh. T probably more than that. Wow. Because here's, here's, they also set the tone. We're going to buy more we're going to taper buying so they set that margin of how much business a bank can actually receive on the back end which helps them set the margins on the front end so it's this whole like that's crazy there's so much into it that people don't even know what happens i'm like the fed controls the entire country guys <laughs> so like is that why like some banks tighten up more than others is because they're not able to get as much money from the feds well the they tightened up a little bit because the fed raised the fund rate okay. so now the money that they borrow is more expensive right. so they have to raise the interest rate margins to actually have an income to lend that money out and then how long do they hold it? Because they have to sell it back to the secondary market in order to recoup the money that they borrowed. Gotcha. How come some of the banks are easier to work with in like the beginning of the year versus the end of the year? How does that, Ooh. does that make sense? Or um, like per quarter, like do they get, are they only allowed like a certain amount of money, like smaller banks only allowed a certain amount of money for the year? So banks and mortgage brokers are two different animals, but okay. banks are uh, monitored on how much they can lend. They have to lend to certain ratios of how much money they have in deposits. Gotcha. That's why they chase like that's, deposit accounts that's hard. Why people, uh, They're go, always trying hey, to snake hey, us. Hey, uh, you know, if you, yeah. and, uh, well, start up a deposit. Because they know they can make money on your deposits. Like the more they have in deposit accounts, mm -hmm. the more they can lend out okay. and they make great penny on you know the interest that they're charging when they lend it out um, and then you have banks that do portfolio loan products which means they don't sell them to the more the secondary market they're not traded uh, mortgage securities they're like the they don't fit into that little box that the secondary market has said has to fit and so they're like hey we'll lend you our own bank money like we're not going to sell it and get this money back where this is our own bank money that's being tied into your loan which is that's what's accountable in their um uh, ratios when you look at money that they lend the secondary market loans don't count because they get that money back gotcha. it's the bank owned loans the portfolio loan products the the home equity lines that stay with the bank that's their money they're giving you that's now committed i know when i first got into real estate and jake may have been the same way but when when i first got into real estate and really until i went to real estate school there was like such a disconnect between what a bank does and what a mortgage broker does and yeah. you might just take time to explain that for people that don't know on the podcast so bank um, has their own money to lend and therefore they can have those specialty products where if if you're an investor and you're looking to flip and rehab or you've got three properties that really have great equity and you want to collateralize them on a loan to buy some land you know whatever banks are great for that because once you have a partnership uh, a bank partnership and um, a person that you've worked with and you build that trust they become your business partner like mm -hmm. because your success is their success and they want to see you grow so they'll they'll create these programs for you that if you come to me and say hey tatiana i need a loan to buy some land i have three houses that are paid off like 
well, I could do a cash out refinance on a 30 year fixed, which, you know, that's a safety product. It secondary market will buy that. But I can't give you a loan that takes all three properties in a cross collateralized loan and give you the equity that you're needing. Yeah. Um, so I solely in the brokerage world work on secondary market loans or loans that I can sell to investors that are not secondary market. So, you know, if you need a one point two million dollar loan uh, to buy that beach house in Florida, I've got great investors for that that have fixed like rate options that you know exactly what your outcome every month on that payment will be. Mm -hmm. Whereas a local bank will like, well, we'll give you a three year arm on this. You'll have to refinance it because they're making money on the interest. They don't want to commit to giving you that much money for that long of a period of time. Because again, if their deposits dip down, now they're, you know, over um, committed and they have different ways of structuring those products that will benefit you, but also not tie that money up for 30 years or 15 years. Um, so really anything that I do would be secondary market or investor driven, um, more so for the long-term commitment of holding property, while local banks might be a good option for those short-term financial needs. I actually want to talk about something we said too, just for a second, how important it is to build those business relationships, yeah. especially with banks and start building a rapport. And uh, because I mean, John and I can both probably speak to this and I'm sure you can too, but some of the relationships that we have with some of the people in some of the banks that we use now mm -hmm. is like, uh, I feel like money's being thrown at me a lot more <laughs> than it was at the beginning of me investing. Yep. Uh, just because of these relationships that I have with these uh, these bankers. A hundred percent. Relationship, I think, is everything. At the end of the day, um, people want to work with who they like and trust. Yep. That's it, it is a, it's it's a principle. It's a standard. And when you form those relationships and um, like I said earlier, they become your business partners. Like I look at my banking relationships as business partners. Sure. They like if if I have a crazy idea or I want to do something now because we have this track record with them of building, selling, being successful, um, and now we're holding more properties, so the cash flow is less. But they see our business model, they see our vision, they understand that okay, well, cash flow we're going to be limited, but equity we're going to grow, our balance sheet's going to grow. Um, it, it, they understand and, and they know what you're doing and they're there with you saying, okay, this is a great idea. Oh, okay, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you, you know, you thought of it that way. Uh, but I would also like for anybody out there who's listening, who wants to form those relationships, like go and talk to people, go find out like what banks do, what loan options they offer. How can, how can you partner with them to achieve like buying your first investment property? Um, and I know a lot of times people want, you know, you guys talk about this, like no money down, but there's also options that you put a little bit down. Like yeah. one of our crazy ideas I, I floated out to our banker um, a, a couple of years ago, I was like, hey, there's this weird piece of land. I, we wanna buy it and maybe like, maybe split it, maybe make some lots out of it. Um, and we kind of started digging through um, uh, what we could do with it based in the county, based in the city code. Um, and there was some opportunity. And so we put very little down bought this little sliver of land, um, ended up subdividing it into eight separate lots. And wow. I think we were under contract for the last one. Yeah. And it was the coolest thing because two, it was at the end of that five-year plan that we were becoming developers and we achieved that goal, even though it was a minor development, but still we, we partnered with a bank that believed in us and they were willing to say, hey, we'll just put a little bit in just so you've got some skin in the game and we'll give you the rest uh -huh. and then we'll see what happens. And um, 
now I use that as an example with my son who's really interested in real estate, really interested to see um, what opportunities there are to invest. I'm like, here's how we took $10,000 and turned it into this much bigger number with a little bit more zeros behind it. Yeah. All you have to do is the work. Yep. And the work is the hard part that most people like don't want to see. Um, even in finding those relationships, that's work. Oh, it is. That's putting yourself out there. I think that's probably the most important work is networking oh. and building relationships. And we don't talk about that probably enough. It's funny because uh, you know people are like, oh, how do you do this? How do you do that? Well, a lot of it is like, even when I, ha I, I spoke about getting hard money and how to use hard money and stuff. And people are like, well, I don't know how to get hard money. I don't know anybody that with money. Well, ex exactly. Well, what they're <laughs> saying is, <laughs> I don't know how to do that is I don't want to do the work. Tell me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, exactly. That's what that is. Yeah. Um, and real estate, again, it's a powerful wealth building tool. And when you surround yourself with people who understand the game and you just take the time to get to know them, you slowly get to know the rules. And then you slowly get to understand that, okay, this is not as scary as I thought it was. And okay, all these people are taking the risk and it's, it's paying off for them. Why can't I? So let's talk a little bit about mortgages and how it pertains to investors and what are some things that we should be looking for as investors to give us kind of the edge or, or how we could look good to a bank on paper oh. to be able to get Okay, that's those, such a good question. That's a great question. And those are two separate, separate questions. So let's go with the second one first. How do we look good on paper? I, um, so when I worked at, in the banking world before I, I switched to the brokerage world, I attended, we, they had weekly like commercial loan meetings and they would talk about like, here's the renewal for this loan and here's the business and here's the debts to servicing ratios and here's, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I learned all of these new terms in the uh -huh. commercial world, like what they look at. I had option, like I went to those meetings for three and a half years. I learned so much on what banks look at what quote quote looks good on paper like they even get into the details of like partnerships and well this partnership you know it, it's pretty strong and they have you know their successors lined up and it's all going to stay in the family and you know little joey he's going to take over and he's been with like the whole thing it really? was impressive what bank was that it was central bank dude that's like surprising to hear with such a big bank oh it, it very very um good and solid loans like they they got to know their clients wow. they they knew how the business was structured because it's important sure. like you have to present that to the committee to get a loan approved and it's bank money like commercial loans that's bank money like that's not secondary market that you get back so they're very particular about who they extend those loans to um, and that is where like my mind started to really shift in the business world with my husband i was like okay we need to get you know um, we need to get a cpa we need to get a trust set up we need to do this we need to separate our business from our personal like we we filed schedule c until like a couple years ago like schedule c yay <laughs> ran my finances through excel um don't do that <laughs> yeah don't so, do turbo tax please if you're an investor <laughs> you're doing turbo tax so wrong. the first thing i did is i separated our business from ourselves on paper mm -hmm. so i there are certain debts that are in the business name yeah i don't have personal credit cards that i use to go finance business things because that will hurt my credit yeah. i don't want to do that um so i fully separated our business from ourselves personally and then i insulated ourselves personally with creation of the trust and such when you present your tax returns to a whatever mortgage lender to get a loan let's say you're an investor but you want to buy like your forever home you want that 30-year fixed mortgage mm -hmm. we look at gross income we look at what your deductions and where you where your write-offs are. We look at what's left in the business. 
-hmm. That's the you know easy answer. And a lot of people want to take advantage of every opportunity to take every deduction, and then their net income is like mm -hmm. teeny tiny. Um, we can only use the net income, and we can add in like depreciation, and there's some mileage. You uh -huh. know, there's little things that we can add in. Um, meals, deductible meals, we have to take that amount off again from your net income oh. because the tax, tax code says, hey, you can only write off 50% of your deduction. And if you wrote off 500, we know you spent 1,000 because you can only write off half. So we take that again against you at the net. Um, My accountant always says, I, towards when we're getting close to taxes, oh, he said, do you want to buy more properties or do you want to not pay taxes? <laughs> well, and figuring that out was a huge like game changer for us because exactly that point. Like at the end of last year, I kind of had an idea of where we were. And I was like, man, I could buy a, a business vehicle or I could just send all that money to the IRS. Yeah, yeah. It's money out of my account. Yeah. It's gonna go there. Yeah. Um, and I can put it in an asset for the business that gets added to the balance sheet, yep. which I also can claim as depreciation. Yep. And that gets added as income because you've already spent the money. That money's off of your, you know, your income. And you can take that whole amount you spent on a vehicle and put it in depreciation that full one year or you can break it up in five years. I'm not a CPA, can't give you any legal advice. so. <laughs> Um, and on paper for a mortgage loan officer, if, if you have a business and you met, you know, like you, you bought all of these you know, vehicles, equipment, whatever you need, and you depreciated them all, you have like 200,000 in depreciation, but your net income is like 13,000 mm -hmm. because you know, you, you structured it that way per, you know, per the, uh, recommendation of your CPA, <laughs> um, <laughs> you actually have 213,000 of eligible income. Wow. Okay. You're paying taxes on what? 13. Yeah. And that's what, when people, when you first as a business owner start to learn that stuff, this light bulb <sighs> goes off and you're like, wait, what? <gasps> and then you're like, is that illegal? <laughs> how, how is everybody not doing this? Does and then they get mad for, you know, these politicians not paying taxes. <laughs> like they're just smarter than we are. Yeah. <laughs> Does it like, so for a person that holds more properties than they sell mm -hmm. and that's all that they do, does that equity get counted back towards anything? Um, the equity gets counted to your balance sheet okay. because if if those properties are in the name of the business sure. and the business owns that equity, that would look good for a commercial banker because they look at the balance sheet. That would not count anything towards a conventional loan because okay. future equity is not considered income until it's realized. Mm. So we look at tax returns of actual properties you've sold and claimed capital gains on that's your income. But there's also some caveats. They want to have a two-year history of capital gains income. Plus, you also have to have additional inventory. So if like you sold all your properties and you have nothing, I'm like, well, you've got two years of capital gains, but there's no continuations. You've got nothing left to sell. Yeah. So I can't use that income. So there's always these little like nuances that you have to um, really know when, when applying for a, a mortgage loan uh, on the secondary market or through the brokerage channel. The cool thing though is if you separate, like let's say your business owns six properties, I don't count those properties. If they're titled and the loan is in the name of the business and they're on the business tax return, they're not on your personal tax return. Mm -hmm. I don't count those debts against you. I think that's important because I know when I first got in the business, uh, the CPA I was <laughs> Vehicles, if they're in a business, don't count against you either. Ve so anything in the name of the business is not counted against you as debt. How important is it to show on your, I'm even even though you're not a CPA, but how important is it to show like a, like 
show income to yourself on your personal tax returns from your business? So it depends on how you structure it. Like you, if your business tax return, it, it, let's say you do your just S corp, not a partnership, but regardless, um, any income that's left in the business, you that shows as income, it flows through to your personal tax okay. returns. So let's say you've got your 13,000, 200,000 depreciation, but you have net 13, you know, thousand your 13,000 income will flow to your personal tax return, um, typically through like a K-1. So when I'm looking at a personal tax return, I was like, ooh, K-1 means they have a business. And it, on the K-1, it says how much you own of the business. If it's more than 25%, I'm like, hey, can I get that business tax return? I get that business tax return, I'm like, 200,000 of depreciation, dang. You're, instead of the 13, now you have 213. Mm -hmm. And so, um, depending on how you structure it, whether you pay yourself wages like a W-2 with pay stubs, or if you just take at the end of the year, whatever's left in the business that's counted towards you. A lot of the misconception I see in um, uh, kind of business owners or younger business owners is they think what's in their bank account is their income. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't take the money. If I take it out, it's gonna be taxable. I'm like, no, dude, like if you take money out of your business account to do anything, it's not considered income unless until you file your tax return and show where your money went. Like yeah. it, your bank account that holds the money is not your tax return that tells right. you what you're gonna pay. Yeah. Um, so there's a difference in those um, areas as well. But going back to your original question, like how do you, you know, look good for to get a mortgage and how do you look good on paper? Looking good on paper, man, you, you have to have a great relationship with your CPA, ask all the questions. Like depending on CPAs, not all of them are going to be like these personal bubbly people they are who not all created equal. That's they are not. for sure. <laughs> but the, you know the the smart intellectual ones, they know all the tax codes, mm -hmm. but they're not going to sit there, you know, over a cup of coffee and be like, "Hey, did you know if you do this and you could just change this and you could just shift over this and then this or that?" Like, they don't. There's some people who you know tax advisors or whatever there's they're out there uh -huh. but if you have a great cpa ask the questions like hey what if we did this like how would this work hey what about this um or you know if we did it this way instead of that way or what if we didn't sell the properties and i held them how does it affect my business and they're the ones that give you all of this information that you can use to leverage yourself to go get more commercial you know loans because now your balance sheet has all of these assets on there. You can you can leverage the equity you have. Even the business vehicle that is in the name of the business that you bought with business money that you drive is considered an asset. And you you're you're driving the vehicle. I mean that's that's a benefit to you. We can go out and get those Corvettes now. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Talk you to your CPA first. Um, also, business vehicles typically have to be over six thousand pounds, so don't screw yourself up on that. <laughs> Is there anything else as far as mortgage goes that you would like our listeners to know um, before we kind of conclude this uh, episode? Sure. Um, I think the the biggest thing when it comes to mortgage is it is a, um, a tool that can help equip you to invest in real estate safely. And if you are serious about investing in real estate, whether that's buying a personal home that you want to raise, you know, your two and a half kids and a dog and have the picket white fence, or if it's buying the investment property that you were buying a duplex that you're going to live in one side and rent the other, do your homework, do the hard work, talk to the right people, because if it's a no right now, figure out why it's a no, work on the things that are making it a no, and then a year now it's going to be a yes. Um, and, and use it wisely, like find the people who can explain to you why this tool works, and, or, or if it doesn't right now, what you can do to make that tool work for right. you and benefit you. 
it's there for everybody if they're willing to do the work. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, uh, John, do you have any questions before we go to the final three? No, I think we pretty well covered everything. Awesome. I, I probably definitely want to get you back on in the future because I okay. think we barely, I mean, we jumped around a lot. Yeah. I think we barely scratched the surface of some of this great stuff that we can draw out of you. Um, I'm more than we'll, happy to come back. We'll have to do it again for sure. Uh, final three, uh, I'm not going to do it in probably order because I don't have That's a template right. here. But uh, we ask these three questions to every guest. Uh, the first one is the most recent book you've read cool. and one thing you learned from it. The one that I have just concluded is The Greatest Salesman by Ogmandino, and it is it blew my mind. Like I, I've re-listened to it probably twice now. I'm an audiobooks person, and consistency is key. Little small things of consistency and discipline will yield the fruit of success. What's that? Yeah, that's that's right. And Jake has said that so many times. I love that because what was the thing like eight or? 20% of what you do, do yields 80%, 80 of your results. results. Which is the 80-20 principle. Yeah. But then there's even like, there's even scriptures and, oh, yeah. and you know religious books that say, you know, by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. Yep. And there's lots of books that talk about the compound effect, you know, of doing the small yeah. things because eventually those are going to add up and you're going to hit the growth curve yep. if you consistently do it. You might not see much in the moment, but eventually you're going to hit that growth curve and it's going to take off. One of the things that they talk about in the book as well is like your relationship with failure. Mm -hmm. And the, the quote that comes to mind from the book is the dying flower of today brings forth the seed for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like the success rate and, and, and your ability to succeed, it's, it's never going to be guaranteed. And you need to know that sometimes you'll fail, but those failures will yield the fruit of tomorrow. Yeah. We, I, we had a guy on our podcast and he was fantastic, um, but uh, something we talked about is, you know, failure is not a failure unless you don't learn from it. Yeah. Like then it's a failure. Yep. So you just got to learn from it, grow from it and move forward. Fail fast, fail forward. Yep. Fail exactly. fast, fail forward uh, and definitely take the lessons because that's the, the most valuable thing. Awesome. Uh, second question, what's one principle you strive to live your life by? Ooh, consistency. Um, do what you say and be consistent in it. I like that. That was simple. It was. Move on to the next one. <laughs> uh, last question. Uh, what's one of the greatest pieces of advice you've been given? Use debt to build your wealth, not finance your lifestyle. Rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> <laughs> the purple book. Get I'm, the purple book. It, yes. Get the book and then read the book. Like, do the, do the work. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. And like I said, I would love to get you on again because yeah, I absolutely. think we barely scratched the surface of... Uh, some of the knowledge that's up there in your brain. There's a bunch of, yeah, there's a bunch of different topics we could hit on next time and have a little bit more direction, but that was like awesome yeah. just for well, an thanks overview. Thanks for having me on. It yeah. was awesome. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Growth Circle Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, connect with Jake and John on Instagram at Jake Engledew and at John underscore the underscore builder. Until next time.